This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by Family Planning Victoria. FPV has been running for over 50 years now. We run a whole lot of education programs for communities and medical professionals across Victoria. We also run sexual health clinics in the city and Box Hill in Melbourne. My name is Anne and I'm part of the FPV schools and community team. We go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction and relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. In this episode, we'll be talking about endometriosis. When we go into primary schools, we only really talk about the way periods are supposed to work. Not the many, many ways that periods can be difficult in individual bodies. By secondary school, students are often expected to understand how puberty and periods work, so they may not get any extra information or opportunity to ask questions about periods. Bridget Hustwaite is the host of Triple J Radio Station's nightly new music show called Good Nights and author of the book How to Endo. This is all about her experience as someone living with endometriosis. She's also created an online community to talk about endometriosis on Instagram. It's called Endogram and it has about 30,000 followers. Bridget was living with chronic pain for years without a diagnosis. She'd like to help others to self-educate and to self-advocate to get better access to help and faster than it came to her. This interview was recorded with FPV Health Promotion Officer, Nat. Thanks so much for chatting to us on the FPV podcast and congratulations on your book. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been a wild couple of weeks. Did you want to just maybe like start off by talking a little bit about the book and just, I guess, uh, we'll get into it in the episode, but maybe just like a brief, um, a brief little bit about how you came to write How to Endo. Yeah, of course. So I guess it it came about mostly from me launching Endogram, which is the Instagram account that I have, which I wanted to be just a separate platform for, you know, raising awareness and talking purely about endo because I was doing that on my personal social media channels. I don't know, created like this really great community where I've learned so much about endo. Um, And then I guess through all of my learnings and, you know, conversations with other people and, you know, that led me to, you know, start reading books about endo and I don't know, I just found there wasn't wasn't really anything out there that felt like it was an easy read and a relatable read. There's a lot of books that have been, you know, penned by medical professionals, which, you know, is fantastic and it makes sense. But sometimes when you're learning about a a medical condition um, or something as complex as endo, it can not only be really overwhelming, but it can be really boring. (laughs) And I just wanted to read it like, you know, I wanted to read something as if it was a friend kind of guiding me through it and we were kind of figuring it out together. And I just kept thinking about what 15 year old Bridget needed, because when I first started, you know, having painful periods, Um, endo wasn't uh, something that I even knew existed it wasn't uh, taught in schools like in the health curriculum it wasn't any conversation that I you know knew that was happening I suppose and no one in the media certainly at that time was was talking about it so I just thought yeah there really needed to be a book out there that 
you know, it was almost like an extension of Endogram, which is a really vibrant platform where I like to use colors and um, really cool artwork to kind of engage people and then provide some information at the same time. Um, so that's kind of how the book came to be. And just, yeah, now it's a, you know, this blend of my personal experience and practical tips and talking to, you know, experts and specialists and other people with endo just to kind of make it like a, like a one-stop shop in a way. <laughs> I guess sort of just bringing it back to the start. I mean, you said, you know, when this sort of started out for you, you didn't really have a lot of information about what endometriosis was. What exactly is endometriosis? If anyone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I've heard of it, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it might sound weird for me to say that for you to ask it, but it's so important to ask that question because unfortunately there's so much misinformation but endometriosis essentially is like a chronic condition where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus, so we call the lining of the uterus the endometrium, um, it's tissue similar to that that grows outside of the uterus and it has been found in every major organ of the body. So it causes a lot of pain. It can you know, stick organs together. Um, it can cause infertility in some people. And unfortunately, there's no known cause or cure. So it's quite a mystery, but you know, yeah, unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation. Um, it's just so important to you know, uh, emphasize the difference that it's not the endometrium, because I think if it was the endometrium, then you could start having conversations about whether or not a hysterectomy could be a cure. Um, that's a common thing that happens for many people when they go into a, a doctor's office, they're literally either told to get pregnant or to have a hysterectomy. And they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum, both life-changing decisions, both don't cure endo. A hysterectomy can cure um, disassociated condition adenomyosis, um, which is happening within the uterus. But because endo is outside of the uterus and it's tissue similar to the endometrium, removing the uterus isn't going to cure it. So yeah, that's essentially what it is in a nutshell. <laughs> and when, how old were you when you sort of started realizing that, you know, your periods were like this, this, something was wrong. This wasn't normal in inverted commas. Yeah, well, I mean, I first got my period when I first started high school within that first week. And, you know, it was fine then. It was super light, but it was until I turned uh, 15, so year nine, year 10, when it just got really heavy and it got painful and crampy and um, just so uncomfortable. Like, I, I, I really hated, you know, having to put on my school uniform and then literally, like, two pairs of undies on and, like, a ginormous pad just you know, and then I'm just kind of like waddling into school trying to, you know, carry on and hang out with my friends and stuff. And I've just had to worry about that so much. And then summertime, you'd be wearing your, your summer school dress. And every time I'd get up from my seat, I'd, you know, be so scared that there'd be blood on the back of my dress. So that was the first red flag for me, just how full on my periods were. And, you know, I grew up with two sisters who didn't have uh, that kind of difficulty with their period. And, and my mum was really worried too. So we went to the doctor when, yeah, I was in year nine, year 10. And I explained, you know, how heavy my period is, how it makes me feel. And um, I was just kind of just told, you know, it's time to go on the pill as if that was like the thing you have to do. That's just like a natural next step. And, you know, I trusted that because I didn't know any better. And, um, you know, the pill, it can definitely suppress symptoms for, for people, but it's certainly not a, a cure for 
Uh, it doesn't do anything to treat the disease itself. But at the time, I didn't know it was endo. So I went on that and was kind of just set on my way. But then over the years, and it's only something that I've learned since being diagnosed, I started experiencing other symptoms around my body, like fatigue and abdominal cramping. That was really bad. I also had a lot of pain passing, you know, bowel movements and emptying my bladder. And I never thought to link all of them because, again, I didn't know what endo is. And, and that's the thing with this condition. It's, you know, it, it can be common for people to have a bad period. But I also know so many people who don't even have bad periods and they have all of the other symptoms. And that's what has led them to their endo diagnosis. Um, it's not too much like it's not dependent on our menstrual cycle. It's, it really is a whole body condition. Um, so I only learned that after I got diagnosed, which was in 2018. So it was like a 12 year process of figuring out what was going on with my body, talking to numerous um, health professionals who provided, you know, contrasting opinions. Uh, some were great. Some flat out dismissed me and said, I don't have endo because it's, you know, not severe enough. Others have it worse than you. It was a really long time. And, and sadly, that's a common thing. You know, the, the recent figure in Australia for a diagnosis is six and a half years. Um, but if you look at, at a worldwide average, it really ranges between seven to 12 years, which is terrifying because so much happens in your life in that period, you know? Oh, um, exactly. Exactly. And it's yeah. also this kind of thing where it seems like such a long period of time for um, someone to be experiencing that kind of pain, that kind of discomfort and that kind of disruption to your life I imagine and I feel like in a lot of other cases we probably wouldn't expect that but there's perhaps something to be said for the fact that it's often young women who may be presenting and so you know there's perhaps a comparison of trying to figure out what's normal what isn't do you think that that has something to do with maybe the late diagnosis of endo or like what do you see in your experiences being the issues with taking so long to get that diagnosis? Yeah, well, sadly, there are multiple factors behind that. It's not just one singular thing, which is quite terrifying. I think um, the, the, the period conversation is a really big one. The fact that we tend to normalise periods, uh, sorry, we tend to normalise period pain. And, you know, I, I certainly remember growing up, you know, being told, you know, oh, it's just how it is, like have some painkillers. That's just what you go through. And I would often question, like, maybe I'm just weak and I can't handle it. What is, you know, what is wrong with me? And, you know, inflicting a lot of self-blame and guilt. Um, so we tend to normalise the pain. But when it comes to the actual conversation, it's like still a, a taboo topic and there is stigma attached to it. So I think that's been a huge barrier. And especially for young people, you know, there was a, a myth out there says that teenagers don't get endometriosis, which isn't true. I mean, it's been found in unborn fetuses. It's like quite remarkable just how full on this condition is. But that's usually your teenage years is when you're actually, you know, that's when a lot of people have developed the symptoms. So that suggests that's when the endo is becoming present within your body. But then how long it takes to get diagnosed by the time you do have that surgical procedure and you can see potentially how deeply embedded it has become in your organs, it's because it's taken so long for it to, you know, for people to pick up on it. So it's, it's getting worse. So yeah, that's a really big one. I think I tend to, you know, I don't really like saying endo is a women's health condition because it has been found in, in cisgender males. And of course, non-binary and transgender people can have endo, but this attachment to women's health 
also tends to bring this uh, stigma around it because, you know, there's so many sexist notions that have been deeply rooted in the medical system over time. Um, you just look at hysteria, you know, and how that went about, you know, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, and I think because there are so many different varying symptoms, it, doctors tend to point to other things first instead of endo. They, they could say you have an, a UTI or irritable bowel syndrome um, before, you know, taking that step further and looking at something like endo. So sadly, there's numerous factors that can contribute to this um, delay in diagnosis. But I think now, you know, in the past few years, there's been so much more conversation about endo. And I think there's been more pressure put on the medical community to, you know, kind of pull their heads in. I'm, I'm definitely not saying all doctors are bad and whatnot, but too many aren't across it. Um, and that's not good enough for a condition that is so common. You know, we're talking about a condition that is as common as asthma and diabetes, but depending on where you are and what kind of healthcare you can access, you don't know what you're going to get in terms of your treatment and how seriously you'll be taken. Uh, yeah, no, that's a really good point, actually. And that's, I guess that's kind of the scary thing because so often when we go to a doctor, if we're experiencing pain, we expect there's a level of knowledge um, and understanding that's going to be shown to us. And you sort of mentioned there, I guess, kind of the pressure that's increasing. And it definitely does seem even from, in terms of, I guess, young people, what do you wish that young people knew about uh, endometriosis and the menstrual cycle? Yeah, I just think it's important to even know that there, if there are things to look out for, if it doesn't feel right, that, you know, is a legitimate cause for concern and you should go see someone about it. Because I just, yeah, I think back to when I, you know, was going through my health classes in high school and it was, I was not, you know, really taught much about the red flags, so to speak, and what isn't normal. It was pretty much just like, this is what your period is. It'll happen um and you know go through those different phases of the cycle but it wasn't you know where it should have been like this is what it is um here are some you know common symptoms side effects of your period here are the, some ones that you should look out for and um if you're experiencing them you should you know look into other conditions and then kind of go through that family of endo adeno etc p you know polycystic ovaries over polycystic ovary syndrome, um, all of those things that just weren't covered in, in my curriculum. So, and I think it's also important to um, make it a full inclusive conversation because what's really hard about life with endo is because it's an invisible illness, that lack of understanding from the people, you know, outside and within your life, but who don't have endo. So they can't, um, sympathize or empathize because they physically don't go through it but they also don't understand it because it wasn't something they were taught either I don't think these conversations even started until when I was in year eight like I certainly did not learn about periods in grade six and I think the earlier you do it before you kind of take that step into high school can you talk a little bit more about that and I guess kind of perhaps the attitudes or the way that friends and family or those close to you dealt with you experiencing endo and how that kind of know influenced how you felt or yeah yeah I think I mean it's been it's been an interesting one I think when I look over the years there definitely has been times where I can look back now and see you know where perhaps some friendships have kind of diminished um and we've drifted and that was a, a result of me not being um being able to be as social as what I would have liked because of 
the how debilitating my pain was and um, that was something that I really struggled with um, throughout the years when I started getting my abdominal cramping and I didn't know what it was from and I couldn't I, at that time I didn't have the medical confirmation of endo so it was a bit harder for people to understand that and yeah I think that's the tricky thing when you know, I otherwise look like a completely health, healthy 29-year-old and the nature of my work as well on radio, I sound chirpy every night. I, like my show is quite energetic. Um, so it can be really hard when you when you do have those days where you feel like, yeah, the pain is a bit too much and, you know, I'm like hunching over the microphone, but I'm still sounding chirpy and then, the, you know, then I might have to call in sick the next day. I mean, work's been really great with it and especially since the diagnosis because, you know, they covered the, the diagnosis journey on, on Triple J Hack, which is the Youth Current Affairs Program. But there were definitely times before that. I mean, I, I remember when I was working as a travel agent and it was really hard, um, you know, when the period pain was so awful and I'd be sitting at the desk with a heat bag, just hunched over, trying to book in air, you know, airfares before the deadline. So stressful, goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hardest job ever. But um, yeah, it's, it's just really hard when they can't, when people can't physically see, see it from the external. It's totally an internal kind of thing that's going on. Um, so you, you tend to get, you know, responses like, oh, but you look fine or, or you were fine yesterday. Um, or even sometimes now, oh, I thought, you know, surgery fixed that. But that's just because of the lack of awareness, you know. Surgery isn't a simple fix for endo. It can remove the disease, but it doesn't remove the symptoms that build up over the years. Um, yes, I look fine today. Or yes, I look fine yesterday, but I'm not fine now because you don't know when it's going to flare up. You know, if I, if I could plan it out, that'd be great. You know, that'd make life so much easier. But unfortunately, we're not afforded that luxury. Definitely. And I think in the book where I think one of the points that really stuck out for me was when you were talking about um, being on air at Triple J and being in excruciating pain. And as someone who listens to your show and your show is such high energy, it was really, I was like, wow, that must have been such a, you know, like to, to keep doing the show at that energy level, you know, your voice is always so bright and like sparkly on air and to be experiencing that kind of pain. Um, it just, that bit really struck a chord for me in the book. Um, and I think that, you know, being able to talk about that on air is such a really important thing for other young people to be able to kind of connect it with as well. You mentioned a little bit, you know, obviously before you were talking about your mum being supportive and, you know, uh, helping you seek that diagnosis early on. Uh, what are the key kind of takeaways for parents and carers who might be listening to this podcast um, in order for them to really support their young person who might be experiencing endometriosis or, you know, another related menstrual condition? Um, I think that's a, it's a really important thing for parents um, to just, I guess, generally be across, you know, these conditions that can form as a result of someone experiencing, you know, those pains that can be associated with your period and whatnot. Um, and just creating a safe space where you can have these conversations and make your child feel that it's okay and normal to talk about these things. You know, my mum was yeah really great and she was so concerned, but she didn't really know about endo because definitely her generation, um, you know, I've actually had people her age contact me. I had a distant relative reach out who's in uh, her 60s and she was telling me, you know, it's so great what you're talking about. You know, there's actually a few of us who dealt with it, but we didn't know what it was at the time. It's only until now in our 60s that we received that diagnosis, that 
narrative will shift in the future. Like, you know, I think of when I have a child and because I've gone through it, I'll be able to look out for those red flags and ask them the questions, you know, how, how is your period going or are you, are you experiencing any other pain in your body right now? Um, I think that's just important for parents to check constantly check in with, with their child's health and um, how they're going, especially through those teenage years. And if there's anything, you know, that looks to be a cause for concern and just, yeah, creating that safe environment where you can normalize the conversations and that it is a part of you know it's a part of what you go through but the pain isn't you know that's not a normal thing you know if you uh you know a parent or carer has a young person who's seeking medical advice for endo and you talk a bit in the book about how you had some bad experiences obviously um, having your pain validated and receiving a diagnosis I guess in terms of a clinical setting what's the most important thing for parents and carers to do to advocate for their young person yeah, well, I think it's so important for parents to kind of come in armed with knowledge and resources. And the great thing now is that that stuff is so accessible. I think, um, I mean, any parent, like, I think any parent would benefit from reading how to endo, but alongside that, um, you know, accessing what uh, organisations like Quendo and Endoactive and Endometriosis Australia, what they provide, um, because you can go through like all their blog posts and they'll, you know, talk you through, and I mentioned it in the book, like the kind of kinds of questions that you should be asking the doctor and um, what to look out for in terms of their qualifications. And especially when you are going to take that next step, um, the, you know, the difference between a, a general gynecologist and someone who can actually specialize in the excision of endometriosis, which is um, the gold standard of treating it right now, um, which is really important for people to be across. I wasn't across that, you know, when I was going through my diagnosis, I just got lucky with my first surgery that the right technique was used, but um, still not to um, the standard that it needed to be given the severity of my disease. So I had to have a second surgery. So um, parents need to definitely kind of do their homework and, um, because the unfortunate reality is that information isn't given to us straight away by all medical professionals because unfortunately some of them don't even know it but yeah thankfully in Australia we have a number of organizations providing these resources and um, there are support groups as well that parents can join um, I'm a part of quite a few on Facebook and I see you know it's so nice seeing a parent you know create a post being like oh I think my, you know, my, my child is going through um, some endo symptoms. I need to book them in. Who should I, you know, who should I see? What should I look out for? What kind of questions can I, can I be asking? Um, just taking those steps because you, you really need to be like a bit of a, a wing person for your child, their advocate as well. And yeah, well, the book is so comprehensive. People just basically need to read this and then fold in the pages because you've, I, for someone who really likes being organized when I read it I was like I feel like this is just it has everything like what to ask like what to write down which I think is really important particularly if you're unwell or you're feeling pain you're not necessarily you know firing on all cylinders all the time so yeah definitely recommend the book to any parents or carers out there um you were talking before about your Instagram account endogram which was kind of the precursor to the book I wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit bit about your experience accessing endometriosis info on social media and maybe some of the benefits that you know you've found from connecting on socials to kind of find out information about endo and perhaps some of the some of the points to kind of avoid as well. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I mentioned this in the book and it's it sounds extreme, but I, I have learned more about endo on social media than what I have through my personal consultations with medical professionals. And that's purely because I've been exposed to other people uh, and their endo journeys and the kind of symptoms that they have had and where endo has been in their body. Um, that's made me realize that it's not just something, you know, simply confined to your reproductive organs. Um, the, the, the great thing about uh, many Instagram accounts for endo is that they actually are providing factual information and many will, you know, source um, the studies and the, the websites um, will refer to those sources rather. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's also connected me to other uh, medical professionals from around the world there's there will be some accounts that get it wrong but most of them are making such an effort to ensure the correct info is out there and we're doing it purely because we don't we didn't have that info available to us at the time and we want to shorten the diagnosis duration we don't want people to go through that same long journey as what we had I think if anyone's like, you know, starting their online journey and entering into the world of like Instagram, endo or whatever, definitely, you know, you punch in some hashtags and you'll see so much info, but I think start looking at organizations first and who they kind of endorse and who they interact with. In terms of, I just wanted to quickly touch on the mental, like, I guess the associated mental health uh, implications of having endometriosis and whether you might be able to talk a little bit about that, um, you know, how the impact of endo on your mental health and how you kind of dealt with that. And I know you've got some really great sort of self-care tips and uh, in the book, but is that something you can kind of just go into a little bit? Yeah, of course. I think it's honestly, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had more. Um, and it's something that I didn't really think about until, oh gosh, just two years ago. Um, and it wasn't I, I went to the um, I went to an annual scientific meeting uh, from like a college of um, gynecologists from Australia and New Zealand and there was a presentation on yeah the role of psychology in chronic pelvic pain and I, I was just like I was so taken aback from it because I just never thought um, to link the relationship between my mental health and my physical health and especially when you're talking about a chronic illness which by definition is constant um, and long term and for something like endo which is an invisible illness um, and you know the the kind of treatment that you get from others because they can't physically see it and also you kind of yeah as I mentioned earlier inflicting a lot of self-blame and guilt because you just you're not sure what you think you caused it even though you didn't um, the, the link is so strong between mental health and, and chronic illness and something like endo, which takes so long to get diagnosed. So I think, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole chapter in the book called mental health matters. And it was so important for me to piece together, um, this section, um, because it's just not something that is really included in the conversation about endo. And, you know, we talk about um, a multidisciplinary team when addressing your endo symptoms. And, you know, by that we mean pelvic physio and dietitians and nutritionists and are your specialists. And something else that needs to be added into that team is definitely a psychologist or a pain psychologist or a counsellor. Um, because what you've gone through, like most people who have endo, I mean, I honestly haven't met someone who has endo who hasn't experienced some sort of medical trauma, whether that's gaslighting, the invasive nature of surgery and recovery, 
um, potential complications that has come on board with that uh, and other, you know, other ways in which they've been mistreated by, you know, presenting themselves to the emergency department and being accused of just wanting drugs. You know, that's a thing um, that so many people with endo have dealt with, which is just absolutely devastating. Um, and we need to address that. I mean, we ne definitely need to address the way in which we're treated, but we need to address the the mental health effects that, you know, that creates because it's it's a long-term condition and we need to know how we can cope with it. Um, otherwise, if you're internalizing it, and another thing as well, if you continue to internalize it, that can create this cycle um, between the pain and the depression and it, then it becomes never ending, you know? So you got to really come at it from all angles. And I spoke to two really great um, girls from Melbourne with endo who shared their experience of seeing a regular guy, uh, a regular psychologist and a, a pain psychologist and just hearing how much it has helped them in terms of, you know, navigating their condition and also kind of bringing their body to a state of calm and you know, embracing mindfulness, which is something that I have found to be really beneficial for myself because your body kind of gets in this way that you're just constantly anticipating the pain and what will happen next when you need to just really, you know, be in the present and um, take your mind off that for a moment and focus on the now and how it's feeling now, um, which will, you know, calm your pain responses and everything. Um, it's, I can't, I can't stress how important the conversation about mental health is because it's just something that hasn't been talked about enough. Yeah. And the way that that, how does that then sort of impact your connection to your own body? And, you know, often we talk about in, you know, sexual health and sexuality education, like linking in pleasure and making that an important part of the conversation. And I guess it's interesting to think about that in the, you know, in the context of having endo or a chronic pain condition. So how does that, you know, with that mental health aspect in mind, how does that sort of impact the connection that you felt to your body and even just how you experience pleasure in the everyday, you know, or in relationships, etc. Well, it kind of, it's, it's, it's sad because it kind of makes you feel like you're, un, you know, undesirable or you're not worthy of feeling pleasure. Um, you know, pain during sex was one of my biggest symptoms um, when I became sexually active when I was 18, you know, and I thought, you know, the first couple of goes, I was like, you know, it's just because it's my first time, you know, but it continued over, over the years. And, and I, I didn't want to have sex anymore. I fully wanted to avoid it. And um, that's not something that I, I wanted to feel, you know, I think sex is so important for, I mean, I think sex is so important for your mental health, you know, it's just this release and it's the ultimate form of connection with other people and yourself as well. Um, yeah. When you kind of, Put together the mental health effects and how that leads to yeah intimacy um so many people just stop doing it all together but you're still deserving of a fulfilling sexual life and fulfilling um relationships uh intimate relationships and there's yeah there's another section on sex and we talked to Chantelle Otten who's a very well-known sexologist in Melbourne and you know it covers not only um you know, whether you're in a relationship or, you know, dating casually, or if you just want to have sex with yourself, you know, and you should feel like you can do all three of those things, you know. 
the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you was if there are young people who are listening to the podcast and they are experiencing some of these symptoms, what's what's the biggest piece of advice you have for them? Um, I think first of all, uh, just knowing that what you're feeling is real and valid and despite what others may say to you, if they may dismiss your pain or your experiences, you need to remember that you're the expert of your own body and if it doesn't feel right for you, it's absolutely worth talking to someone about it and if you're seeing a medical professional that isn't handling it to you know, your standard, absolutely seek a second opinion because they're here to work for you and you deserve to get those answers and that's you know unfortunately for me you know it does take a, a lot of persistence if I didn't persist um, I would probably never I'd probably be sitting here without my diagnosis you know you have to keep pushing for answers and you deserve those answers you need to also um, be a bit not strategic about it but come prepared you know um, if if it's a continuing thing, start writing down what you're feeling and keep track of it. So when you do go into a medical um, medical professional's office, because, you, you know, sometimes when you go in there, your mind can go completely blank because you're just so overwhelmed and like maybe intimidated. If you go in there ready to take notes and ready to ask the right questions and ready to um, refer to your dot points as to what pain you've been experiencing and where and how frequent and how it feels that's going to make things a lot easier definitely do your research utilize the resources that um, are mentioned in how to endo and also I'll mention the organizations again because I think they're really important quendo which is q-e-n-d-o endoactive endometriosis australia um, they're all there to help guide you through the process of getting answers for your pain. Um, and just know that you're not alone as well. I know so many people, so many young people obviously are on social media. Um, embrace that. And it's really where you can connect. You know, I'm fresh from a weekend of meeting um, some of my closest endo mates. I guess those would be some of my first tips. And yeah, just keep pushing for answers because it's so important to know what is going on within, within your body. Thank you so much, Bridget. That was such great advice. And people can buy your book, How to Endo, pretty much everywhere, I think. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. Target. It's literally <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Online. Um, Quendo. Also stock it. The Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia. Booktopia. Um, yeah, it's been found in some Target stores. <laughs> Highlight of my life. Um, but, yeah, just look out for the pretty pink and yellow cover. and She'll be there to sort you out. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And people can also find Endogram on Instagram as well, your account. Yeah. Um, and we'll pop some links and stuff in the show notes as well um, so people can check that out. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks so much to Nat and Bridget for that interview and so much information about endometriosis. I'm just going to note a couple of things that really stood out to me in that interview. Endometriosis is often misunderstood and symptoms can be dismissed. It's important to be an advocate for your own health. Writing diaries about symptoms could be a good way to help present information to a health professional. There's a large community of people with excellent information and support. You could start with Bridget's Endogram on Instagram. Bridget has a webpage for more information about her, including social media links. How to Endo is available in bookstores. Bridget's Instagram community, Endogram, is on Instagram. Bridget also mentioned Quendo and Endoactive. I'll link to those in the show notes. Also see Endometriosis Australia for advice and information. 
For more information about FPV, including clinic appointments, you can go to fpv.org.au. Follow FPV on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Contact me directly at doingit.fpv.org.au. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.